on the four qualities of a man of God. Four qualities of a man of God. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. While you're getting it, it's probably, it's right in there. Uh, I'm going to share with you one of my husband's favorite uh, stories, especially on Father's Day. There was a little boy who uh, was scared. There was a thunderstorm going on, and he was so scared, and he was only about five years old. And, and his mom came in to check on him while the storm was going on and lightning and thunder and going on all. And, and he says, Mommy, Mommy, sleep with me, Mommy. I'm scared. And she said, I can't. You'll be okay. Don't worry. You'll be fine. He goes, No, Mommy, please. Please sleep with me. I'm scared. I'm scared. And she said, Honey, I can't sleep with you. I got to sleep with Daddy. And he was like, Big sissy. the dad because <laughs> the mommy couldn't sleep with him he had to sleep with the dad okay come on you got it you got it <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 and it reads like this I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. I searched for a man, and I couldn't find one. Go ahead, have a seat this morning. The four qualities of a man of God. I am so grateful today because I have been blessed to have some great men in my life. I had a wonderful, wonderful father. Didn't know the Lord as his personal savior, but if there was, if he could have, he would have just only been that much more better. He didn't grow up with a father. He grew up in camps, uh, got married when he was 17. He was in camp from 13 to 17, got out. Him and my mom got together, got married at 17, and worked at the same job for over 20 years. Um, and he was a great dad. He was a, I guess I could say that because I was his favorite. <laughs> but he, he really was. With, uh, with not having a father to be that example to him and growing up the way that he did, um, I, I have a lot of the values that I have in my life because of him, and I'm so grateful to him. And, and I'm also grateful to my husband because he was a great father also. I, if there was ever a quality that he excelled in, he excelled in fatherhood. He was a great husband, but he was a great dad. And, uh, and I thank the Lord because I've had some great men in my life. And then I thank the Lord. He is my father who has been the absolute strength of my life. And uh, couldn't have done it without him. He's been with me every step of the way. There are some prerequisites to being a good father. There's a lot of things about being a dad that, that are not easy to come by because to be a dad, you got to be a man 
You got to function like a man, take responsibility like a man, think like a man, act like a man, work like a man. It's a lot of stuff men got to do. But you cannot be a good father until you are a good man. Good man. And there's not too many good men in our nation anymore. A lot of the men that we see on the news, they're messing up. Presidents, governors, senators, all these men that people look to, they're kind of messing it up. But thank God we have a few good men here. Amen? We could always use more, but we got some good men here. And in society today, we struggle to find those good men who are going to take a stand for God, their families, and their lives. Fathers today seem to be kind of shrinking. What are they shrinking from? They're shrinking from their family responsibility. They're shrinking from their manhood. There's a lot of different things that they're shrinking from, but they're shrinking from their home and the church. They no longer take the lead or show the initiative. There are men who avoid responsibility at all costs. They run away from their commitment when things get too difficult, and they resist obligations. They promise and promise, and then they don't come through with their promise. Promises that they made to their wives, promises they made to their children, promises that they made to the church, and promises that they made to the Lord. So what are the effects when men don't live up to their promises? These are some of the statistics. 25 million children, which are 36.3% of all the children in the world, do not live with their fathers. 36%. 40% of children in fatherless homes haven't seen their fathers in over a year. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of children that have behavior disorders, 85% are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 75%. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 70% are from fatherless homes. 85% of youths in prison are from fatherless homes. And 70% of teen pregnancies are from fatherless homes. Those are high statistics. Do you understand, do you see the impact that you as a father make on your children? You make a tremendous impact. There's a book called Tender Warriors. And it's a book that talks to men about becoming real men. And that's kind of where I, I want to be able to share with you today because some men like to look at other role models. They like to look at Rambo. 
or Steven Seagal. These are men that they think are real men because they can kill without hesitation. The Hulk is out right now. They destroy and they break things. They show no sorrow or no guilt for their actions. They just kill and walk away. Or men like Magic Johnson, or the ones who are on soap operas, who say that real men are determined, with how, are determined by how many women they sleep with. And then there's role models like Al Bundy, <laughs> or Dan Arnold from Roseanne, who are not in control of their homes. These men look like idiots that their families mock them and ridicule them and they have no respect for them. Or men like Donald Trump, who define manhood by their paycheck, their bank account, or their stock portfolio. But where do we turn to find real men? When you buy a TV, every TV comes with an instruction manual. Every washing machine, every refrigerator, every dishwasher. When you get that instruction manual, that is to help you figure out how it's supposed to work. You get your DVD player, your CD player, everything. It all comes with an instruction manual. And it stands to reason that you would get an instruction manual because the owner or the designer knows how it's supposed to work. I'm still trying to figure out stuff. I have books galore. Still trying to figure it out. They know how it's supposed to work the best. So when I ask the question, what is a real man, I'm not going to go to Bill Clinton and ask him. I'm not going to go to Oprah Winfrey and ask her. I'm going to go to the creator, the one who built the men, and ask him, what is a real man? What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to be? What are they supposed to act like? In this book called Tender Warrior, he talks about God's pattern for men. And it's an awesome book, and it talks about four godly concepts. The concepts that he talks about are the qualities that a man needs to have. Now, he says north, south, east, and west, those are four points on a compass. We have spring, summer, fall, and winter. There are four seasons in a year. We have earth, wind, fire, and water. There are four elements in the planet. And the four qualities of a man are king, warrior, mentor, and friend. Those are the qualities we need to find in a man. Every part of a man has these qualities in him. You're, they're already built into you. You have the king, the warrior, the mentor, and the friend. They're already there. And when they're balanced in your life, then that image of Christ is really clear. And everyone around you gets to be nurtured when all of those qualities are balanced. But when they're not balanced, when there's one that's stronger than it should be, then the image is distorted of a man. And the man actually becomes weak, and everyone around him suffers and experiences pain. When you're out of whack, when you just think you're king and everybody else is your subject, when you think you're just a warrior and you're out there to conquer and you forget that you need to also be a mentor and you need to be a friend. When you're out of whack, people around you suffer. Those four qualities are like four pillars 
that belong in your life. So the first quality that I want to share with you all is the quality of a king. That's the first quality that a man should have. Now, the king quality is seen throughout the Bible. Jesus is called the king of kings. The first man, Adam, was given dominion over the earth and given all power and authority. He was like a king. He was instructed to be the king, the head, the ruler. But it wasn't a dictatorial, oppressive type of rule that he was supposed to have because that's not God. The heart of a king is a provider. The true heart of a king is there to provide. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. The king quality teaches us that a man is to be a provider. He is to provide for his family's needs. Now, as men... To provide for your family, it means more than just paying the rent. It means more than just buying them clothes or buying them food or paying for their college tuition. You can do all of that and you can still fail as a father. You can still fail. You can fail as a husband. You can fail as a leader in God's eyes just by doing the basic stuff. Because see, if men are to provide for more than the physical needs, then you need to provide for the emotional needs of your family as well. You are a provider. You are to be the king. And a king is someone who is always looking ahead. A king is always someone who is looking at his family, who is looking at those in his kingdom and saying, are they okay? Are they all right? Sometimes, men, you're not providing emotional support. You see your kids are going through stuff. You see your wife is going through stuff, and you're like, you know what? Later. Flip on the TV. Get lost doing something else. They don't have time to meet their needs. They don't even know what they want. You come home, your wife is slamming cupboard doors. Don't be slamming doors. But she's slamming doors and she's just real quiet. What's wrong? Nothing. Okay, I asked you. And you let it go. As a king in your house, you are to provide emotional support. A king scouts the territory. It ensures that he is going to be a provider to all of his kingdom. He doesn't wait for them to ask. He searches to find out what his family's needs are and he meets them. That's what a provider does. He looks to see what his family needs as king, and he provides. The second quality, after being a king who provides, the second quality is a warrior. Now, men all like that. Yeah, I'm a warrior. I don't know what it is about that, but they just love it. I mean, you know, you love all those, like, warrior movies and blood and guts and you know, you like all those Mel Gibson movies? Yeah, you thrive on that. But this warrior quality is also found throughout the Bible. Reading the Psalms and even reading Revelations, you'll see there's the imagery of a warrior. Our God is a warrior. If you read the Bible, you'll find that he 
was a soldier. He was a warrior. We read of how gentle he was and how meek and how mild. But in Revelations, when he comes back, he's coming back on a war horse with a sword and an iron club in his hands. He is ready for war. He is a warrior. He knows how to fight. He teaches us how to fight in the spirit. In the New Testament, the mature believing man is described in military terms. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, endure hardship like a good soldier. Come on, man, endure hardship. Oh, I have a, my finger hurts. I won't be able to go to church today. I, I got a splinter. Endure hardship like a good soldier. 1 Timothy 6.20 says, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Take care of it. You're a warrior. What has been given to you? And are you taking care of it? By a warrior, I don't mean somebody who loves war or who draws sadistic pleasure from fighting or bloodshed. That's not a warrior. There is a difference between a warrior and a bully. Sometimes we get them mixed up. A warrior, their quality is that they are protectors. As a king, you are a provider. As a warrior, you are a protector. The heart of a warrior has a protective heart. The warrior shields. The warrior defends. The warrior stands in between. The warrior guards his home. He guards his wife. He guards his children. Now, let me say this before I go on because there are some men who have a totally misconstruing of what a warrior is. A couple of years ago, there was a man uh, who came out on the news, and he is known as an overprotective dad. His son was playing hockey, they were practicing, and he tells the coach, you're making my son do too much. And the coach turned over to the father and said, that's hockey. And within two minutes later, the father was on the ice, beat the coach up so bad that the coach was brain damaged and he died. He died. Anybody ever hear that story? It's a true story. That was a man who was imbalanced. He wasn't there to protect his son. He had the warrior quality in him, but he wasn't there to protect his son. He was there on his own self-esteem. Because sometimes parents look at their kids, and if the kids excel, they feel good about themselves. But if the kids can't bat, or they can't hit a hockey puck, or they can't throw a football, then the dad feels like, man, I'm not worth anything because my son or my daughter can't do it. That's not a warrior. A warrior is a protector. Sometimes guarding and protecting means that you're going to have to step on a bug for your wife or your kids. They can't stand them. Or you're going to have to catch a mouse. Or you're going to have to check out those sounds that go bump in the night. You're going to have to get a flashlight and go into that spooky basement. You're going to have to do the things that are warrior-like, even though you're scared yourself. 
But you're the warrior. You got to do it. You're the protector. You got to get out there and protect your family. Most of these are some of the reasons why men can be known as the most humiliating word. I believe the most humiliating word for a man is to be called a coward. That's humiliating. No man wants to be called a coward. Those are fighting words. But at the same time, if you're not protecting, then you are a coward. Because you should be protecting your wife. You should be protecting your children. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about protecting them spiritually, emotionally, mentally, socially. Protecting them. Sometimes a man can, be, can appear to be distant or detached. If that happens, that warrior quality is out of sync. Because a warrior is a protector. He's not distant and he's not detached. He is in there with his people. Because soldiering sometimes for men is connected with pain. And sometimes you can get so used to putting on the armor that you forget that underneath that armor is supposed to be a protector. It's supposed to be a tender heart underneath your armor. You're made to be a protector and a soldier, but you still have to have that tender side to you. You still have to be able to operate like that. Every parent of a little boy knows that there's warrior tendencies in them when they're this high. They start throwing things. They start, you know, uh, using their hands to uh, play army. Like, I shot you. You're dead. They make noises with their mouths. Have you ever heard boys play in a playground? They make all these noises with their mouth. And I, I don't know how to do it. You guys know how to do it. I, I only know how to do a little bit. Um, but you guys know because you make all the noises with your mouth. You're taught to do that when you're in the playground. Now, when you look in the playground, you see all the little girls together, and they're all talking. Talking, 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 talking. And you see all the boys yelling, hey, wah, they're all yelling. You don't see boys in little groups talking, 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 talking. Because you go, what's wrong with them? Something's wrong with that group. They need to be out there yelling. They need to be out there kicking a ball or throwing a ball or, or doing something because that's the normal thing. And sometimes we get so much into the warrior of trying to be that competitive one and trying to defeat and trying to win that we forget to protect when we get older. You are made to be a protector. You're made to be a soldier. You're designed that way. You have to be ready at a moment's notice to stand by your family, to guard them, to hold them, to help them, to keep them safe. Your families should feel that they could relax when you're there. There are some families who can't relax when their dad is there. They're more on edge when he is there than when he isn't because they're worried. What's dad going to say? What's dad going to do? Is he going to yell at me? What's not in place? You're not there to make them feel unsafe. You're there to make your family feel safe. 
confident that you're going to be able to take care of them. A real man doesn't sit by and watch his wife be overcome by circumstances. He doesn't let her hold the whole load. He takes the load. That's your responsibility. God made you bigger and broader to carry some of that load. Don't let your wife go through all the difficulties of working out the finances and working out how things are going to work out with the kids. You take some of that load. You're the dad. You didn't just have your children and say, okay, now you raise them. No, that's what you're there for too. You don't let your wife handle it all. Sometimes you might have to do the shopping. Sometimes you might have to do the cleaning. Sometimes you might have to do the scrubbing. And guess what? It doesn't make you any less of a man. You're the warrior that's protecting your home. And it's okay. It is okay for you to do it. I know that years ago, for a, a, a man to pick up a broom and sweep was like, I don't do this stuff. I don't iron. I don't clean. Well, in this generation, we work together. We work together. I am so proud of my son when I seen him. You know, he's taken my grandson these last few days. Everywhere he's gone, my grandson has gone with him. He's 15 months. He's a handful. But he's taking him everywhere because now his wife has a newborn. And I'm encouraging him, you know what? You be that dad. You show him. You take him with you everywhere because your dad did that to you. And he remembers as little as he is. He was two, three years old, and my husband would take him everywhere. He took him to street meetings. He took him to pass out flyers. He took him to pastor's meetings. He took him everywhere. Everywhere. He showed him how to be a man. He showed him how to be a godly man. And that's what you need to do. You need to be able to help with your home, not just be the warrior. Sometimes, you know, as a warrior and as a protector, you might have to sit down and talk to your wife. I really sit down and talk and listen and not go, uh-huh, 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 okay, uh-huh, 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 all right. Uh, anything else? Like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I got a game to watch her. You know, time's ticking. I got things to do. No, sitting down and listening, really listening, and then repeating back what she just said. Have you ever done that? I used to do that with my husband when we would sit down and talk, and, and I, could, I could feel him, you know, like, ansioso, like he had to go, and I said, okay, what did I just say? And every time I did that, he goes, all right, okay, now I'm listening. Now I'm really listening. <laughs> and I would get him, but then he would stop. Because if you're not listening, how can you protect if you're not listening? A real man protects and rescues his family. You have to be willing to sacrifice your time, your comfort. You have to be willing to risk any danger in order to provide for your family. So not only are you the king, which is a provider, not only are you a warrior, which is a protector, but the third quality is that you are a mentor. You're a mentor. The mentor quality is not just modeled in the 
Bible, but it is commanded in Ephesians 6.1. It says, fathers, fathers, didn't say mothers, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Sometimes fathers can exasperate. You know what exasperate is? Frustration to the ultimate limit. To the ultimate. The heart of a mentor is a teaching heart. You're going to sit there and teach. You know, I, I, I uh, say this because I was at the airport. I've been at the airport quite a few times this past week. But I, I was at the airport, and, and there was a little boy, and, and he was holding on to two car seats. And he must have been all of like five or six years old. But there he was holding on to these car seats and because there was a whole little family of about four or five. And I think he was like the older brother, and he was holding them. And, uh, and his dad says, here, I'll take him. And he goes, no, Dad, I'll hold him. He goes, no, let me take him. But, Dad, I'll hold him. And he goes, just give him to me. And he took him from him, and he started walking. And I saw this little boy's face just like, and I, I almost wanted to go up to the man and tell him, give him back to him. Let him carry him. Because it was letting him feel like if he could do something. It was teaching him that he's capable. At five years old, he could carry something. How many times do fathers, you say, ah, you can't do it. Here, give it to me. Let me do it. Let me do it. I, I can do it faster. I can do it quicker. I can do it Right. But you got to have a mentoring heart, a teaching heart. A mentor knows, and he wants others to know. He models, he explains, he trains, he disciples. That's what a mentor does. See, a man is supposed to know things. I, I don't know where it's written, but you're just supposed to know things. You're supposed to know how a car runs. You're supposed to know how to fix a car. I mean, you know, if... if have you ever been driving and all of a sudden the car conks out and you look at the guy and say, okay, well, fix it. And they're like, I don't know nothing about cars. Well, you're a guy. You're supposed to know. Guy is supposed to know these things. You're supposed to know how a vacuum works. You're supposed to know how many legs are on a spider. How many miles till we get to the next rest stop? When is the weather going to get better? It's up to you to know how do TVs work. How does electricity come? How do the lights go on? What happens here? Why do dogs bark? Why do birds fly south? Why do hamsters die? Why do trees lose their leaves? Why is the sky blue? Those are all things you guys are supposed to know. You're just supposed to know that stuff. But why do we expect men to know these things? Because men are expected to know how things work. They're expected to know what they're supposed to do next. They're expected to know where we're supposed to go to the next step. Men are supposed to be able to teach life. That's your role. You are to mentor. You are to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. You're supposed to know where you're going. Now, I know some of you are sitting here and you're going, I don't know where I'm going. Today, you'll be able to get on the right path. Today, you'll be able to know where you're going. See, men are to be teachers, training and teaching their family and helping others to grow. So you are to be a king, which is a provider. You are to be a warrior, which is a, no, I'm sorry, king, which is a, a 
provider warrior, which is a protector, mentor, which is a teacher, and the final quality is a friend. A friend. This is your tender side. The heart of a friend is a loving heart. It's a compassionate heart. Underneath the warrior's breastplate, they're supposed to beat a tender heart. Not a cruel heart, but a tender heart. There has to be a tender side to you. You cannot allow yourself to just operate on the warrior side. You cannot allow yourself to just operate on the king's side. You have to operate on the mentoring and friend side. This is the side that connects with others, that has a thirst for friends, that has a desire to be touched and a desire to touch, to hug, to embrace. General Norman Schwarzkopf had an interview with Barbara Walters many years ago, right after the Gulf War. And as they were talking about the war, and she was asking him questions, all of a sudden she asked him a question, and he got tears in his eyes. And he, you could see them so clear. And Barbara Walters right away said, Why, General, aren't you afraid to cry? And we called him Storm and Norman. He replied without hesitation, no, Barbara, I'm afraid of a man who won't cry. I'm afraid of a man who won't cry. Because if a man can't cry, he's not in touch with his tender side. There has to be a balance. Those of you who were here when my husband was here, he was a crybaby. That was not the man that I married. The man that I married was the warrior. The man that I married was the king. And through the years of marriage, God made him into a mentor and a friend. And he produced all of those qualities in him that he had held on to, that life and that the world had stolen from him. And the world will steal all your emotions from you. And the world will take and put hardness in and make you look at other guys and, you know, stare them down. And he'll just make you feel like you've got to act this way. You've got to talk this way. You've got to behave this way. And I'm telling you that it is not true, that there has to be a balance in your life. There's a big difference between being tender and being soft. We want tender warriors. We don't want soft men. We got enough right over there. Webster's Dictionary defines tender as expressing feelings of love, compassion, kindness, affection, as in a tender caress. But the word soft describes men that are mild, effeminate, easily yielding to pressure, untrained for hardship. Soft men. That's not what we want. We want to be able to have men who are tender, not men who are soft. Soft men don't live here. Soft men live somewhere else. When I'm asking you to be tender, I'm not asking you to be as sensitive as a woman because you know what? You never, ever should be that sensitive. You can't ever match a woman. You can try, but you can't. Because the average male just can't 
match sensitivity. Don't even try. Just accept you're a man. But you do need to be tender. Women are more sensitive because that's just the way God made us. You can't be like her, but I will tell you this. Some of you guys need to loosen up a little bit. You're too hard. Sometimes your children and your wives can't communicate with you because you're too hard. You don't listen. You're not tender. You don't hug your wife or your children. If some of you went out to hug your children, they would probably be like scared. How many times have you went like this to go touch your head and your kids are near you and they flinch? Because they think you're going to hit them. What would happen if you went out there to go hug them? They would be like, what are you going to do, choke them? <laughs> you got to be tender. It's a long way from macho to soft. I mean, there's like, they're miles and miles apart. Find the medium. Find the middle and operate there. The Apostle Paul was a fighter. He was a warrior. He was a man who faced hardship and he faced difficulties. He was a man who stood the test and faced every challenge. And this is what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly nurses her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because, because you have become very dear to us. This is the Apostle Paul. This is a man who was fearless before kings, fearless before a mob. He was fearless in his, uh, the way that he talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, he's using the words gentle, tender care, Nursing mother, fond affection, very dear. Does that sound like a warrior to you? Are those words from a man that you would expect to hear from a man's man? No. But they're exactly the words that God uses to describe a real man. Someone who, who knows his balance. God tells every husband, love your wife. He admonishes him. He challenges him. Love your wife. Now, for some of you, that may be like, well, of course I love her. If I didn't love her, I wouldn't have married her. But love means a whole lot more than physical affection. It means even a whole lot more than emotional feeling. You're to love your wife as a weaker vessel. Not controlling her, but valuing her. You are corduroy. She is silk. Those of you who are sitting next to your wife say, you're silk. That means that she is to be treated differently. You're the corduroy. You're a little rougher. But she's silk. You treat silk different. You wear it different. You pay more for silk than you do for corduroy. There is a joke that a man was talking to his wife after she had done something that he didn't like. He said, how can you be so beautiful and stupid at the same time? And her answer was, God made me beautiful so you would love me. God 
made me stupid so I would love you. It's just a joke. <laughs> Don't take it serious. God is asking men to take the role of a king, of a warrior, of a mentor, and of a friend. Man, I want to ask you something. How's your family doing? How's your wife doing? Is she happy? Is she content? Is she growing spiritually? My husband had a plaque that he had bought many, many years ago when our children were small. And he constantly referred to it when our children were growing up. And that plaque said, the best thing that a father can do for his children is to love their mother. That's the best thing you can do, is to love their mother. Men, you've been given a responsibility of leadership in your home. And I have my hats off to you because it is, without a doubt, the most tough and demanding and sometimes even thankless job. But don't lose hope because the job will go a lot easier for you if you're walking and leaning on the Lord. What your families need, what your wives need, what your children need is not what society tells you. Society will tell you they need a bigger plasma TV. They need a new bike. They need a new computer. They need a new video game. They need a bigger house. They need a fancier car. They need a bigger diamond. They even need their own credit card. They really don't need all of that. Don't use what I say as an excuse either. But you know what they need more than all that? They need you. They need you. Wives need husbands who will obey the command of God to love them as Christ loved the church. Dads, your kids need you. They need to know that you care more about them than you do about football, than you do about your career, than you do about your bank account, than you do about your friends. You need to spend time with them, talk with them, teach them. Show them integrity. Teach them values. Teach them how to work. Dads, the three most important things that you can give to your children is time, unconditional love, and instructing them in the Lord. Instructing them in the Lord. How amazing it would be if daughters would be able to pick their husbands by the way that their fathers treated their mothers, if you treat them right. If you treat your wife right, then you don't have to worry about your daughters picking wrong guys. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about your sons picking wrong women if you treat your wife right. Men, it's time to lead, to set the example. You can be that king, you can be that warrior, you can be that mentor, you can be that friend. You can be the provider, the protector, the teacher, and the tender man. But you got to be able to stand up and take your role. Stop being Mia's, MIA's, missing in action. Stop shrinking away from your responsibility and take it. Take the role. Take what you're supposed to do. Stand with me this morning.
This is Father's Day, a day when we celebrate fatherhood. Unfortunately, in our society today, with the statistics that I gave you, there's a lot of children who don't have dads, a lot of dads who aren't connected with their children. I understand it's hard, but it's only hard when you're not in balance. When you have more warrior, more king than you do teacher and friend, then you become imbalanced because, see, a friend will be able to go and apologize. A friend would be able to make amends no matter what. A friend would be able to say, come on, let's go here, let's go there. But sometimes when you have the warrior and the king, you're like, they, should, they need to come to me. They need to apologize to me. And that's why there has to be a balance. There needs to be a balance here. You're not just a warrior and you're not just a king, but you're a mentor and you're a friend. And if you're here this morning, I'm speaking to the dads first. If you're here and you can see some of these qualities are not balanced, there might be something that you're missing. Maybe you don't have that relationship with your children. Maybe you're looking at your wife and you're seeing that she's in need this morning. Then this altar call is going to be for you. Or maybe you're a single parent and you have it even harder because you have to be all of those to your children. You have to be that protector. You have to be that provider. You have to be that mentor. You have to be that friend. God can give you the strength to be all of that and still be their mom. He can help you. He's helping me, and I know he can help you. And what I'm going to do is, first I'm going to ask if there's anyone here who may not know the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior. And you're here and you're saying, you know, I don't know how I can do this. I need God in my life. I want to do this. I want to be a husband to my wife. I want to be a father to my children. I want to be able to have a family that glorifies God. But I don't have him in my life. And if you're here this morning and you'd like to be able to say, I need God in my life, would you raise your hand? I'd like to be able to pray with you this morning. Is there anyone here? God bless you. else. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Well, for the benefit of these four men, we're all going to say the sinner's prayer. And we're going to believe that God is going to make a difference in your life today. So with every head bowed, we're all going to pray that sinner's prayer. Say, Jesus, today on Father's Day, I ask you to come into my heart. Change my life. I don't want to be the same. I want to be a man that would glorify you. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you are alive today. I believe that you can come into my life and transform me. Teach me new values. Teach me new ways. I don't want to be the same. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. That was for those of you who needed 
to accept Christ.